If you haven't already, please take your Bible and turn over to the book of Acts, chapter 2. This summer, I received a letter from the Tennessee Baptist Convention. And I opened it, and it said, Dear Pastor Mosley, I'm writing to congratulate you on your excellent leadership. That's when you all laugh. Because your church, you've led your church to baptize the 18th most people in the Tennessee Baptist Convention. Uh, no, 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 no. Wait, there's a mistake. And, and on it goes, extolling my great leadership because of this one fact. So the first thing I did was I, I got out the records and I looked and we had baptized three people last year. And I thought, dear Lord, there has to be a problem. So I called in and I just said, hey, I just wanted to check, like, maybe there was a mistake, or I, I don't know. And, and um, they said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's correct. We showed that you baptized 75 people last year. I said, hmm, that's interesting. I said, how many members do you show us having? And they said, 90? But that's revival, people. So they fixed the records and asked that I put my letter in the trash can, and just like that, I was no longer an exceptional leader. And so after I got all that cleaned up, I, I had these two conflicting responses in my soul. On one level, I hate the fact that we as Baptists use baptism as a way to manipulate ourselves into feeling like we have God's favor. Like, how many people can we get wet? How many ways can we report it? How many ways can we get applause for how we baptize people? But on the other side of the coin, that was the, the, the sarcastic, vindictive, a little put-off side of me. But on the other side, the more biblical side, I thought, but you know what? Like, baptism is a sign and a symbol of entrance into the faith. And if that's what baptism is biblically, then we should want to be known as a church that baptizes many people because that means that God is saving many people. Why not 75? Why not? I mean, we're not going to get a thermometer and, and start running numbers on the board and making you feel like a, a, you know, you're just one out of... But, but listen, if baptism, and in the New Testament is is a sign of people coming to know Christ and identifying with His body, then it should be a big deal. It should be celebrated. It should be joyful. And it should be something that we long to see more of. So I'm praying today as I preach about baptism, that we will be a people who love the good things that God has given us, will long to experience the blessings of God the way He sees to pour them out, and will long to be a church that's being so used of God to bear fruit for His kingdom that we would be known as a church where baptism is a freely occurring I mean, look, guys, if, if, you're, if you're new here at Redeemer, 
we don't really do numbers. Like, I have no idea how many of you are here today. I have no idea what the giving's going to be. Somebody does, I'm sure. We don't judge ourselves based on all that kind of stuff. But people represent souls. And souls represent people that God loves. And people that God loves need His church and need ministry and need His Word. And people who haven't met Christ yet need to meet Jesus. And so we want to be all about those things. And if baptism is just a culminating event of look what God has done, then yeah, we want to be a church that's known for a huge number of baptisms because we want to be a church where God's saving grace is exalted in the ways that He desires it to be exalted. So hey, some good news. The baptistry is finally fixed. Two plumbers, two electricians, one pool and spa company, another plumber to fix what the pool and spa company messed up, and it is ready to go. And even give you hot water. So what if? What if we had to rewrite the way we worship here to make baptism a regular part of our Sunday gatherings? What if some of you in this room right now who have never felt the tug of God's grace yielded your life to Him today and said, I believe Jesus is my Savior. I will walk with Him. I want to identify with Him. And pretty soon, you are up there being baptized as a sign of what God's done in your life. What if your neighbor professed faith in Christ and very soon was identifying with Jesus and we were celebrating that on a Sunday morning? What if? Right now, at Redeemer, we're working through a series called Gospel Foundations. And we've said that the foundation of the church is the gospel of Jesus. In particular, the foundation of the church is that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone, as revealed in the Scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. But we've also said, how do we build on that foundation? And God has given us two particular ways to celebrate in our corporate gatherings where we build upon the foundation of the Gospel. We make the Gospel central to everything. Last week, we talked about the Lord's Supper. This week, we're talking about baptism. Last week, we said the Lord's Supper is a new covenant celebration in an ongoing manner where Christians identify and rest themselves in the saving grace of Jesus. And today I'm going to tell you that baptism is a new covenant celebration where people for the first time identify with the work of Jesus and the church of Jesus for the glory of Jesus. So baptism is a new covenant celebration where people who have met Christ identify with the saving grace and the church and the work of Jesus. And so, just to not bury the lead and put it all out there, I have been praying this week that some of you today, for the first time, would feel the saving power of the Gospel of Jesus and be converted and want to identify with Him through baptism. I am praying that some of you in this room who are brothers and sisters in Christ, who have never identified with Christ through this new covenant celebration, would choose to follow the pattern laid out in the New Testament and identify with Jesus. I'm praying that some of you from other traditions who are with us today would consider this New Testament pattern and consider the claims of what baptism is intended to be and perhaps 
be led to change your mind. That's what I'm praying. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be vindictive. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I just want to be convictional. I want to be as biblical as I know how, and I want to invite you to respond. But here's the point. Baptism is an act of a Christian connecting to and identifying with the gospel of Jesus and the people he created. Baptism is an act of a Christian connecting to and identifying with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the people he created. As I said, God's given his church two celebrations, two new covenant celebrations for the new covenant people, the Lord's Supper and baptism. So for my note-taking friends, the first point this morning is a new pattern. A new pattern. Did I actually get them on the screen this week? I did. All right, there you go. A new pattern. If you're wondering about the screens, like why are they there some weeks and not others, it's because I want to reserve the right up until 10.29 and 30 seconds to change my sermon. It's just the way I made. So they got there. A new pattern. The book of Acts establishes a pattern within the church of Jesus regarding conversion and baptism. The book of Acts establishes a pattern within the church of Jesus Christ regarding conversion and baptism. And we see that in the passage that Scott read for us, verses 37 through 41. The pattern is this. Repent of your sin, believe the gospel, be baptized into the church of Jesus. The pattern is repent of your sin, believe the gospel, be baptized into the church of Jesus. So what's going on in this passage, you might say? Well, Jesus came and lived and built a following and died. The third day he rose again, showing that he not only is God's son, but he has defeated the power of sin and death, and he is here to offer salvation and new life in his name under his authority, covered in his blood. And then after rising on the third day, Jesus appeared to his followers, encouraging them that this wasn't the end, it was just the beginning. He is alive. And then some 40 days later, Jesus appeared. This is what's recorded in Acts 1. Jesus appeared to his followers. He told them to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Spirit, and then they would be His witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus ascended into heaven. And the followers of Jesus have been waiting. They've been waiting for Him to send His Spirit and push them out to build His church. And what happens in Acts chapter 2 is this crazy to us, event known as Pentecost. And what happens at Pentecost is the Holy Spirit comes in and flames of fire appear on the top of every Christian. And they start preaching. And everybody's hearing the preaching in their own language. So everybody from all over was able to hear and understand the message of Christ. And so everybody said, man, this is crazy town. Something is going on here. This is crazy. So Peter stood up. Peter, the one who had denied Jesus, the one who had been restored by Jesus, Peter stands up and Peter starts preaching. Peter says, let me explain to you what just happened. Chapter 2, verse 14, Peter says, listen, God promised 
that there would be the last days, and in the last days, He would pour His Spirit out on all flesh, and that everyone who has the Spirit would prophesy and see visions and dreams. The signs and wonders would be done, and that in that day, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And Peter says, this is the day. That prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the day. These are the last days. God has poured out His Spirit. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, particularly the name of Jesus Christ, will be saved. Because Peter goes on to say, the Lord's name is Jesus. He was the promised Messiah who was to come. He was the promised Son of David who was to come. He was the Son of David who would see no decay because death could not defeat Him. And so then in verse 36, Peter says, So, therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Jesus the Lord, that is the ruler and the sustainer of all, and the Christ, that is His chosen means of salvation. Oh, by the way, the one you killed. Okay, so what do we need to do? Verse 37, what do we do? I, be, I hear you, what do I do? And so in verse 38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so that's the pattern. Repent, believe, be baptized, and walk with the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. For this promise is for you and your children. That's, that's Old Testament Israel language. So this is the promise for the Jews to believe on the name of Jesus and be baptized and be saved and receive the Holy Spirit. And to those who are far off, to believe on the name of Jesus, to, uh, to repent of our sin, to believe, to identify, and to walk with the Holy Spirit. So, so Peter's saying that God's way of salvation is through Christ for Jew and Gentile, for the entire world, for everyone who hears and responds. And with many words, verse 40, he bore witness and continued to exhorting, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So, verse 41, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So 3,000 people repented, believed, and identified with Christ through baptism. And according to this, we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. This pattern plays out throughout the book of Acts. What do we need to do? How do we need to respond? Repent, believe, and be baptized. So this is the pattern. So what is going on here? is Jesus is establishing for His church a new pattern. You see, in the Old Testament, the pattern was to be born into a Jewish family, to be circumcised, and then to live 
under your Jewish identity. If you were born outside of a Jewish family, you could identify with God's people by taking on circumcision and taking on the Jewish expectations and Jewish rights and then walk amongst the people of God. But what's new under this new covenant in the last days is that salvation is still through God's Messiah, but salvation is found by believing that we are sinners, that's repentance, by believing that Christ is the Savior, that's believing, and by, and by then, as His children, identifying with Him through baptism. So let me be really clear. And this new pattern is for Jews and for Gentiles. It's for all y'all. It's for everyone to the ends of the earth. So let me be clear. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that baptism is what saves us. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that baptism is what saves us. Because there are times like Acts 3 or Acts 2 where Peter says, repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. There are other times where the apostles simply say, repent and believe and you will be saved. And so the point is, baptism doesn't save. But there's, a, there's an additional point that we need to see here. Baptism is expected. Baptism is not secondary or just for those that are in the mood. Baptism is all those who know Christ will identify with Him through baptism. So in Acts chapter 2, God, through Peter, is establishing a pattern for the building of His church whereby those who hear the Gospel repent, believe, and identify with the church through baptism. And if that is the pattern that carries forward through the New Testament, then that should become our pattern. So let me just give you a couple scriptures. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was baptized from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There, there is this idea and this expectation that we who know Christ have been baptized into Him and that those who have been baptized in Him have received His salvation. And what this tells us is that what's going on in baptism is not something of human invention, that the method matters, that the method tells the story of the gospel. You see what he says? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism and death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in newness of life. Baptism is not an accidental celebration. It is a gospel celebration. Baptism is celebrating that Christ and Christ alone saves. Baptism is celebrating that Christ has saved me and I belong to Him. Baptism is just as much a new covenant gospel celebration as the Lord's Supper is. And we don't get to decide what the, the new covenant initiation entryway into the church looks like because it's been given to us in the New Testament.
Matthew 18, or excuse me, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus told his disciples before leaving the earth, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what is the commission? It is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, baptizing them, teaching them, and trusting that God is with us through His Spirit. That is the commission. So you can clearly see that this idea of repent, believe, and identify through baptism is a New Testament idea that was intended to carry forward throughout as long as we are on this earth. So I'm submitting to you today that the New Testament Particularly, we can look in many places, but as laid out in Acts 2 and carrying forward for us, is laying down a pattern of how the new covenant community would be built. And when I say new covenant community, you should think church. It would be built upon people who have known the Lord, have come to repent and believe and identify through baptism. And these Old Testament promises, like the one Peter quoted from the book of Joel, like the one we looked at last week from Jeremiah 31, point to us and say that this is what God promised He would do when His Messiah came. So I'm submitting to you that the New Testament pattern for the church is to repent, believe, and identify through baptism. Well now, Jamie... I think you're making too much of these verses in chapter 2. I don't know about that. Keep reading. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. How many of us have held that up and said, this is what the local church should look like? All of us have. Why? Because that's, that's why it's there. This is a snapshot and a picture of what the church looks like as it functions. And I would just simply say, hold up verses 37 through 41 and say, this is how God is going to build his church. By people hearing, repenting, believing, and identifying through baptism. Now, we're Baptists. So we get identified with the people that like to fight about baptism. How wet does one have to get? How many times must one be baptized? Listen, mode matters. Amount of water, it matters. But our view of baptism is about the new covenant and how the church of Jesus is going to be built and going to be constituted. In this passage, Jesus is inaugurating, he's beginning, he's setting in motion a new people of God. The path to God is through the Jewish Messiah 
but not through the Jewish rituals. Jesus is the King over all and the Messiah of all. The church will be built by those who hear, repent, believe, and identify through baptism. That leads to our second point this morning. Practical considerations. Practical considerations. Guys, I want to be as loving and gentle as I can right here, but I also want to be as um, clear and convictional as I can as well. So, number one, who should be baptized? Who should be baptized? Those who profess faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Those who profess faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Number two. When should someone be baptized? When should someone be baptized? I believe the best way to read the Scripture, and particularly to read these, these stories from the New Testament, is that someone should be baptized following the pattern laid out in the book of Acts. We should repent, believe the Gospel, and then be baptized. We should repent, believe the Gospel, and then be baptized. The pattern matters. The order matters. Because if you haven't repented and believed, you can't identify with something that you don't possess. Number three, what should baptism look like? What should baptism look like? It should look like what baptisms in the New Testament look like. I can see my good brother and fellow elder Stephen Carlson staring a linguistic hole in me right now. He's like, baptism means dip. It means get wet, right? That's all he's been thinking for the last 30 minutes. I do think that Romans 6 and the metaphor of baptism should shape the way that we practice baptism, where we are remembering that we've been buried to our sin and raised out of death and sin to walk in newness of life. And so I would argue the most consistently biblical way to baptize is to immerse in water. If we need to talk about that, we can talk about that, but that seems to be a part of the pattern. That's certainly how we practice here at Redeemer. Fourth, let's not belittle baptism. Baptism is a new covenant celebration whereby new converts identify with Jesus. So let's remember that we don't get to create the act of identification into the body of Jesus. The act was given to us in the Scripture. It's called baptism. So we don't get to create 
other rituals to replace baptism any more than we get to trade out bread and grape product of your choice. Um, any more than we get to trade out bread and cup for french fries and ketchup. I'm trying to be a little bit funny. You could laugh there. If I proposed to you that we should trade out the bread and the cup, you would say, no, Jesus gave us bread and cup. He gave us broken body and cup that signifies the new covenant in his blood. We don't get to play with that. And I would just simply say we don't get to play with the act of baptism. It's something that's given to us in the New Testament. So, what should you do? This is application. If you are a child of God who has followed this biblical pattern of repent, believe, and be baptized, you should celebrate God's gracious gift in your life. You should take the Lord's Supper with frequency and remember that all you have is Christ. And you should labor to bring others to the waters of baptism as a sign of the saving power of Jesus. If you're here today and you're from another tradition that maybe has a different understanding of baptism than us, look, I understand this stuff's been debated throughout the history of the church and and, and my goal today is not to give a, a logical explanation of other positions, but I would just say, will you consider this position? Will you consider what the Lord is saying to us through His Scripture? Will you pray about it? Will you study it? We'd love to talk. We'd love to ask questions. We'd love to wrestle together. But would you consider? To those that are here that have professed faith in Christ, that are walking with Jesus, and if for some reason have not come forward to identify with His church through baptism, would you consider this pattern and respond? Would you recognize that, that in the Scripture, baptism is not talked about in an idle, casual, do-what-you-want-it's-okay-to-agree-to-disagree di kind of way? I've often heard things like, I just don't feel like it. Well, let's look at the Scriptures and let's allow God's Word to shape our living. I'd love to talk to you about following the Lord's leadership and identifying with His church through baptism. Now on that front, parents, children, I know one of the most delicate conversations that we have is how to understand what it looks like for our, our little children to profess faith in Christ and, and how it's delicate to work through. Um, are they just saying what mommy and daddy want them to say or are they really professing faith in Jesus? Um, I just want to say like, we're here to walk with you through that. We're here to help you. We're here to encourage you. We're here to pray with you. We're here to meet with you. Like, I look around this room and I see boatloads of boys and girls. And I pray for boatloads of boys and girls to repent and believe and identify with the church through baptism. We want to help you 
in that. There have been times and ways that we haven't been helpful in that. We repent. We want to help you. And church, finally an application. Let's never lose the celebratory nature of baptism. You know, one of the things I lament about having a baptistry right here where we can do baptism during the worship service is before that, baptism was a party. Like we had to go to the Bettertons and throw a party in the hot tub to do a baptism, you know? We had that one at the Y where there was like the frog that kids could slide down and then we didn't use that, but, but we, we baptized beside the frog with the big long tongue and like the swim team stopped and was like celebrating and singing the doxology with us while we were baptizing. Like that was pretty cool. So I just, one thing I, I fear is I don't want baptism to become a rote, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, no! Uh, someone else professed faith in Christ. They are our brother and sister, and we are celebrating God's saving grace today. Let's never, ever, ever lose the celebratory nature of a baptism. And then finally, let's never, ever, ever become one of those places that plays with baptism and uses it to make us feel good about us. Let's take every baptism seriously because baptism is identifying with Jesus. So, I put my letter from the TBC in the shredder because it wasn't true. And really, I don't care if they think I'm a good leader or not. And really, if they ever mail us one of those letters and it's real, I'll probably still put it in the shredder. You won't see it framed around here anywhere. I can promise you that. But what if... What if we really believe that God saved us to use us? God's saving grace is being poured out upon us that we could share it with others and that God really does want people to meet Christ through us such that we baptize so many people that even the TBC can't help but think I'm a good leader and that our church is awesome. What if? What if we prayed to that end? What if we longed for that? What if we believed that? What if we ministered and lived in that kind of way? Because I don't want to do a sermon about baptism so that we can feel good about baptizing in the way that we think is the right way. But rather, I want to preach a sermon on baptism so that we'll celebrate the gospel of Jesus the way he intended his gospel to be celebrated in such a way that he would get much glory because that's the purpose. So will you just join me in that? I'm kind of shifting from preacher to coach at halftime, you know, like let's do this. But let's do this. Let's do this. As I said, if you'd like to talk more with me about anything we've talked about today, I'd love to talk with you. If you'd like to consider the claims of Christ for the first time, please, please talk with us.